Welcome everyone. This is uh, another episode of just Kira and Rob talking on the podcast, which means we don't have uh, a written out introduction. Uh, I suppose we could talk about how this episode is brought to you by the Copywriter Accelerator, which should be opening momentarily within days of uh, this episode going live uh, or within weeks anyway. And the Accelerator is our basic training, 16 week. It's not really a course, it's not really a membership, but it's a program where you go through with a cohort of other ambitious copywriters and basically set the foundations that you need to put in place for a successful copywriting business. The skills that you need as a copywriter are different from those that you need as a business owner. And if you wanna succeed at both, you need to have both. And so that's where the accelerator comes in. Okay. so. Now that we've dealt with that part, it's just you and me, Kira. <laughs> we've dealt with the whole selling our stuff part. Like, yeah. Let's get that out of the way. Exactly. So 10 episodes ago, you interviewed me. We do this every once in a while where it's just you and me talking, but 10 episodes ago, we did a little bit more of like, okay, we'll try to dive into a little bit more of behind the scenes, Rob. And of course, we want to turn the tables now and get the behind the scenes Kira and find out who you really are when you're not necessarily <laughs> doing the copywriter club thing. I am the exact same person. So we're going to find out. Shocker. Yeah, we're going to find yep, out. Same person. Yes. So, okay, well, let's start with a couple of uh, easy questions, warm you okay, up. Okay, but you've, okay. you've lived in a whole bunch of places. Like you've been in, in Chicago and Virginia. You went to school in Virginia. You lived in New York. I think when we met, you even described yourself as like a New Yorker. Like that was oh, yeah. Yeah, who you were. And now you're living in Washington, DC. So, you know, I'm, I'm curious about, you know, just like the history of Kira traveling around and being in places like what's your favorite place that you've lived? I still consider myself a New Yorker, even though I no longer am in New York. And, you know, I think that some people can live there for one year and they feel like it's in them forever. For me, I was there for 12 years. So I feel like, you know, the 12 years, that counts. But I'm sure there are New Yorkers who'd say, you're not a true New Yorker. That's what I love about New York. Um, so to me, that always felt like home. That was my dream. That's like, that was my big dream in college as I was in Virginia. I was like, just moved to New York and you've made it in life. Um, and even now that I'm out of there, I don't, I don't miss it necessarily. I miss parts of it. I'm really happy where I am in DC. I like my life here, uh, but I still feel like that's a part of me. I, I take New York city with me wherever I go. Um, nothing really has topped that for me. So what's your very best New York city experience? <laughs> I, I mean, I think there is there are a collection. No, no, no. You have to um, name just one. Like, just, we're gonna I, narrow it down to one. I, I okay. Well, there's um, swimming in the lake in the middle of Central Park. It's definitely a New York City moment. Um, I think before the cops kicked us out of the lake, it was very late at night, a little fuzzy, um, but a lot of fun. And so, <laughs> it just felt like a true New York experience to swim in that lake and jump in there when we weren't supposed to be in there. Uh, but also just, I think it's less about the one experience. And for me, as I look back at that time, it was mostly in my twenties. And so it was really more about the people you're with in New York. And so it, that's where I made some of my best friends. Um, it was with those women. And like, that's what I take from New York is just like that group of women, because it didn't matter what we did. We just we bonded during that time because there's, there's nothing like living your 20, living your twenties in New York city. It's just nuts. Like it's just a nuts experience. And I had my kids in New York as well, which was a, almost an entirely different lifetime moving to Brooklyn and, uh, and raising kids in New York, which was dramatically different than my time there with friends um, in my twenties. But I'm glad I had both experiences, just two different sides, two different experiences in in that city. And, uh, they were both fun in different ways. Okay. So what's something that locals in New York city do that tourists don't, but maybe we should when we, when we show up there? Yeah. So this is where I, I was reviewing your questions cause I like to prepare and I started digging through my 
emails from 2010 because I, this is where I got into writing or just continuing to expand on it. I became the New York City examiner writer. That was like a whole thing, theexaminer.com. And so I would go on adventures in New York City and then I would write about them. And it was just this, that's how I fell in love with writing because it forced me to go out and have these really interesting experiences because I had to write about it. I don't even think I was getting paid, but uh, it was my assignment. So doing that, I did find these really interesting experiences and I was trying to find the link to all of them, but that site has shut down. So some of the ones I remember that I liked were um, were actually uh, Street Wars, this <laughs> experience called Street Wars, which is like the assassin game, uh, a live action game for players to basically like eliminate each other. But we played this game, Street Wars, and you played it in the entire city. So for three weeks, I was just paranoid walking anywhere in the city because I thought someone was going to shoot me as part of the game. Um, so if if you're a paranoid person, you probably should not play that game. Um, and I don't know if that's still going on, but it just it changed my experience in New York City because it turned it into just a playground. I mean, it was already a playground, but it was even more of a playground playing this interactive game. And then Let's, wait, wait, wait. So, wait, I want to, I want to stop there for a second though, because it's really funny that you would say that because I think there's maybe a perception by people who don't live in New York, that New York's like a really dangerous city and that you would have a game that obviously you're not, you're not really getting shot, but you know, that's like playing right, like on water, that danger. Yeah. yeah. Is, is kind of funny. Like I wouldn't even expect that as somebody showing up in New York for you know a few days or even a few weeks. Yeah, it's a weird game. It's a weird game. I don't think I would play it today. I think I have enough stress in my life today that I don't need to add more stress. Where I think everyone, yeah, yeah, where I think, I mean, I would get on the subway and I assumed everyone was playing the game and anyone at could was stalking me or could pull out a water pistol and shoot me with water at any point during those three weeks. So I was highly paranoid. so I don't recommend it. Again, prob- the game's probably shut down by now, but it just was so much fun. And then the other one that's a little bit more toned down um, that I also wrote about for the examiner was Barge Barge Music. So it's a floating concert hall uh, under the Brooklyn Bridge. And so that was something that just was one of those experiences that I would not have found unless I was seeking it out as a writer trying to find cool experiences um so is that, that like live music on a, on a yeah park? live music yeah tiny little concert hall um on the barge and yeah just it's just like it's just one of those moments in new york are just like it doesn't get better than this um so there were multiple moments like that but it, i wouldn't have i wouldn't have sought them out if i had not been a writer so I think it's just interesting to go back to like how writing can change the way we live our lives and writing can actually be a, uh, a tool for us to use to live a richer life and to seek out new opportunities that we might not find normally. And so I don't think I realized how many experiences I had because I had to write about it back back then. No, that's really interesting. I, that's the thing I love about New York is there's there's like this limitless not just opportunities to do things, but to invent things, to be things. It's, it's gotta be the most creative city in the world. It's, it's a really unique place. Yeah. And the cool thing too, is because I was writing about all these experiences, it, it gave me credibility to reach out maybe to the founder, right? So I sat down at a bar with the founder of street wars, that crazy game. We called him the mustache commander. I was doc- I was Dr. Millipede. That was my name. So I got a chance to sit down with him, have a drink with him, and interview him. And then, you know, for something like a roller derby, I would go and attend and and cheer them on. But I would also end up interviewing someone on the team. And so I think maybe that's where my love of interviewing uh, came from too. It's just you get to go deeper. You don't just experience it, but like let's talk to the people behind this experience or this event too. Okay, so you're in DC now, very different from New York, you know, aside from, oh, you've got to go see the, you know, Space Museum or, you know, the Portrait Museum or something like that. Like, what kinds of things in DC would you recommend that somebody showing up should do there? 
Yeah, it's funny. I was going to ask you before we recorded just not even to ask me this question just because I have I've been here for 2 years and 1 year was during the pandemic. So, I have not explored. I'm not it's just that is what it is. So, I actually feel like Rob, you could answer that better than I can because you visited here and explored more. For me, like my life has really been in my home on my couch when I was pregnant over the last year, didn't leave at my brother's place. So it, it's, it's just a different experience. So I'm excited to start exploring more, but I, I, other than Googling a list of all the typical places you should visit in DC, I, I have no more additional information to share other than like, I've just been building my life here, trying to build a home, trying to make a life for my family here. Um, and not really open to exploring yet, even though I love to explore. And so I just, I look forward to when I can actually like get out and check out all the cool places in this city, because I think it's a, an amazing city. And I'm so excited to do that. And even just to meet people here, I haven't met a lot of DC people. Like there's probably a really cool entrepreneurial scene. So I just, I look forward to that. Yeah, it's cool. I'll, I'll give you one that I discovered as a tourist, but um, the Kennedy Center, obviously yeah. really cool, you know, like these huge performance spaces or whatever, but they do a free concert. I think it's every week where they, they like set up the hallway with chairs and a small stage, whatever. And it's, it's relatively small. There's probably maybe a hundred, 150 people there. It's free. So anybody can go, there's no dress code or whatever. And I've, I've done this with my wife and we go to DC with our kids when they turn 12 or we did, my kids are all older than 12 and we would take them there. So we went uh, three, three times. One of, one of my kids didn't get to do this. And like the bands that we would go see were so amazingly good, but they, they weren't bands that anybody really heard of. They're kind of the up and coming again, free concert hour and a half of your time. I think they're usually like in a Saturday or Sunday afternoon or evening or whatever, but, um, a very, a very hidden gem, you know, if you get yourself to the Kennedy center for a, a little free entertainment and they're, they're really cool. Yeah. I love that. We'll definitely do that. We've been there for brunch. And, uh, I also really, uh, like that you have done that with your kids and that that's one of your traditions when they turn, you said 12, right. When they turn 12, that you go to DC. And so I, I have heard you talk about that before. And it's something that I would like to do with my kids when they turn maybe 12 and we go to a particular city to visit. I think that's a really neat tradition. Yeah, it, it's fun. It's good. I think, I mean, for us, you know, obviously we don't live on the East coast, so, you know, there's getting away with your kids one-on-one -on -one or parents with one kid, which is a really cool thing. And then you know, just having that opportunity to spend some time, you know, in the seat of government, you know, having them see the Capitol, all that stuff. And there's just, there's so much other stuff in DC that just makes it also a really cool city. Yeah. And we, we live in Capitol Hill. So we live, I mean, two blocks from the Supreme Court building. There is enough happening in my neighborhood where um, I don't like, I don't feel the need to even leave the neighborhood, which, you know, can sound a little crazy at times, but there's so much happening here. So I just, it feels so vibrant. I love there's such a good energy here. I love New York City energy. This is a little toned down, and I actually think this is a better fit for me and the stage I'm in now where it's like still good city vibes, but not as intense as New York. All right. So one more easy question before we jump into other stuff, but your most irrational fear, what are you afraid of? Well, all of my fears are rational, so I don't know how to answer this question. <laughs> All right. Give me your, your most rational fears then. <laughs> I mean, um, I, mean I, I'm, I, I am afraid of civil war in our country. I'm afraid of, uh, the, you know, the climate crisis and what that's going to do to our world over the next few decades. Um, I'm afraid, you know, my, my nightmares, uh, I always have a reoccurring nightmare of uh, people breaking into my home. I've had that for years since I lived in the country. So I took one break from New York City, moved out to the country, and then realized that wasn't really my thing, and then moved back to New York City. And during that time in the country, we had this big house with all these windows, like a glass house almost. And so I think that's where that nightmare started, where I felt so exposed with all those windows. And so I do have this reoccurring nightmare where it's just like people are getting in. I can't lock the doors fast enough. I know I've shared this with you, Rob. And I just uh, can't protect 
anyone inside my home and I feel very vulnerable. So that's one. But yeah, I mean, I feel like most of the other fears are are legit. <laughs> so, um, but I, I, I've kind of mellowed out on some of them. I think during my pregnancy, I, I got pretty intense in the, the fear zone. Um, and so I've, I've been pulling myself out of that because I don't want to live a life of fear. That's not a great way to live life. So yeah, I could go on, but I think, I think that's, that's probably good. All right. All right. We'll stop there. Okay. So let's talk about like Kira becoming a professional. What was your very, maybe this is before you became a professional as a teenager, what was your very first job that you were paid to do? So I was a babysitter since I was 13. Um, I'm surprised people left me with their babies at 13, but I was responsible. And then when I turned 15, that was the youngest I could be to get a job at a restaurant. And so that's when I started working in restaurants and uh, got a job as a dishwasher because I was I was very anxious about becoming a waitress. I just felt really nervous about that. I was very shy. It just I didn't have experience in it. So I started as a dishwasher in the back and then uh, eventually worked my way up to the front of the house as a waitress. Um, so yeah, serving serving people, serving customers uh, was a great way to start my career. Nice. Have you ever been fired? I don't think I have. I was trying to figure that out. I don't think I have ever been fired. I've had a startup I worked for collapse overnight, um, which felt like we had all been fired, (laughs) but I have not been fired unless I just blocked it out of my memory. Not that I know of. And I'm, I'm, I was a good employee. Like I'm not one of those entrepreneurs who are like, oh, I was always such a bad employee. I could never work for someone else. Uh, I could, I did it. I did it pretty well. And uh, that was never, that was the people pleaser in me always did well in other people's companies. So you told us a little bit about how you kind of got started as a writer, you know, writing for free, not necessarily copywriting, but let's, let's talk a little bit about, you know, your copywriting career. What's the thing that you've struggled with the most as a copywriter? Yeah. Uh, I mean, overthinking, overthink, I mean, you could say overthinking copy, overthinking, maybe more business decisions, comparisonitis, which I've, I've worked on that quite a bit. So that's less of a problem today. Um, putting, just putting pressure on myself. I think that I, I struggle to know when I'm pushing too hard when I'm not pushing enough, like where is that sweet spot of just like what's my own groove and my own rhythm in business? And that's tricky because it changes from month to month and year to year. So what worked a year ago may not work now. And so I think I find myself questioning that because it's not always clear and um, there's no right or wrong answer. So um I think also I can I'm pretty clear on vision for business and I I feel like that comes more easily to me seeing the big picture but I mean as you already know I struggle with all the pieces to get from point A to point Z um and all the systems it takes to to build that and get there that that's always tricky for me I I can just see where we should be but uh getting there's hard yeah, I think we talked a little bit about that when you were interviewing me and we, <laughs> we are the, the classic idea people who yes. yeah, struggle to, to make the thing the reality. So but let, I want to ask a little bit more about the comparisonitis. Like what kinds of things were you comparing to other people that were making you feel like maybe you weren't holding up or standing up to what was expected? Well, I think it shows up in different places. So career-wise, early on in my career, before even copywriting, my you know my New York City friends were just you know super motivated, ambitious uh, women and quite successful, like right out of the gate. And it just it took me a while to get there. And it wasn't because I wasn't working hard. It wasn't because I was less ambitious or goal driven. It just to become a copywriter, which I didn't know I was going to actually move along that path, there is less of a clear path. And so I think while I was just trying to figure it out and it was not a direct path, that takes a lot of trial and error. And I felt like I wasn't where I needed to be. 
Um, I kind of questioned why I wasn't as successful as other people um, who were my friends. Um, and so I think it started then. And it wasn't until I really felt like, oh, like this is where I'm supposed to be. And and again, that happened in copywriting and market when I fell into marketing and copywriting, I was like, oh, it all makes sense. Like all these things I did kind of led me here and this is where I'm supposed to be. And so I think probably for many of us, when you don't start off where you're supposed to be or where you really excel and it takes a while to get there, you sometimes think something's wrong with you or you're doing something wrong. Or you're not working hard enough. So I think career-wise, it started there. Specifically, as a copywriter, um, when I just got started as a copywriter, I didn't care. I didn't compare myself. I just was like, I don't care what anyone else is doing. Um, I was just very confident, <laughs> just like jumped fully in. And I think that helped me get started because it was just all confidence. Um, and then I think once you once you really get into copywriting, you start to learn from your peers and you realize how much more there is to learn. And you realize like, you know, you know a little bit, but there's a lot more that you don't know. Um, I think that's where I, when I started to compare myself to others um, and, and then just had to kind of rein that in because that also is not helpful as you build a business. For sure. Yeah. I remember when we first met, it was in a, a mastermind with Joanna. We, and I think you were still working part-time at doing marketing stuff. And I remember reading some of your copy and thinking, this is really, really good copy. In fact, I, I even thought like, I don't think Kira knows how good she is as a writer. So I, I don't know if that's worth anything to you or not, but I just remember thinking that, thinking she's definitely got what it takes. Oh, thank you, Rob. Were you like, that's that's my future business partner? Uh, not at that time, no. <laughs> <laughs> it took a little more time uh, no. for that. But okay. yeah, yeah, no, I just remember, yeah, she's going places. So um, yeah, anyway. Okay, so what's the hardest thing that you've done as a copywriter? <laughs> I don't think our job is that hard as copywriters. I mean, it's I think the hardest part of being a copywriter is all the head trash that we all deal with. Like it is the mindset for sure. That's why it's something that we talk about in all of our programs. It's why there are mindset coaches. This is, that is the hardest part. Many of us, not just me, get in our own way. And so I am, I'm definitely, I struggle with that too, just like anyone else. Um, so that's that's part of it. I think also just the uh, the hardest part was in 2018, and I've talked about this before on the podcast. But that's when we were building the Copywriter Club, and I was building my own copywriting agency. And you know, my kids were young then. I mean, they're still young. They were really young. Um, so that was a really hard year for me to grow both at a fast clip and not really pulling back on either one. I was just full on with both working pretty intense hours. It seemed normal to me at the time. But now when I look back, I was like, whoa, that was intense. Um, so it was just, it wasn't fun, but I also, it got me to where I am now. So it's just part of the path I was on. Um, but I think many of us do that. We just take on so much um, and we don't always have to. That does not have to be the path. Do you have a least favorite? Project disaster. I have a, a client disaster, a client that I walked away from. It was a financial consultant dude that I walked away from. And I ha I haven't walked away from any projects, but he was just he was a huge jerk. And uh and the, he spoke to one of his colleagues who who was I, I admired her. I I did like her. And on one of our calls, the way he spoke to her was just so demeaning. And um, the way he spoke to me after the first, I sent over the first draft of copy, it was just so offensive and rude and just like, who are you, dude? Who do you think you are? So I walked away from that project. I was proud of myself for walking away. I will never work with someone who treats treats their employees that way. And I mean, treats me that way, but like treats your team member that way. That's so, um, it felt liberating when I took away their access to the Google Docs because <laughs> it was good copy. It was like there, there were many things that went wrong with that project. And, you know, half of that was on me, not him being a jerk, but the other stuff. But it was good copy. And so I just pulled that access to them. I was like, I had, I refunded them the money for the first that. payment. Yeah, I was like, I don't want your money. Take your money. 
I don't want it. And I just walked away. I mean, virtually like walked away and felt, felt so good. Yeah. That's, that was one of the big ones. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about your family. Um, how'd you meet Ezra? Are you asking me this because I asked you that? Question? I kind of am. Yeah. Kind of, but I'm also kind of interested. I'm actually not kind of interested. I am interested. I want to know how you, how you, I know you guys like dated for quite a while, but I don't actually think I know how you guys met. So I am someone who, I don't know if you know this about me, but I like to be part of community. I like to join things. I am a joiner. Always I think been I've that seen way. that. Yeah. Even though I like to be alone. So I'm like, I like to be alone. Don't talk to me, but I also like to join things. And that's where there's conflict. Um, and so I joined many different social groups in New York city. And one of them was called the grace list. It was basically like, a a network of professionals who it wasn't just focused on like dating, but it was more like just get to know people and, and really cool experiences and events. So of course I had to be a part of it. And there was like a vetting process. You had to get interviewed to get in. And I was, you know, I was all about anything exclusive. So I joined that, went to a bunch of the events, had a blast. And I noticed on their website, there was this photographer's name and the photographer had credit for all these beautiful photos. And so it was Ezra Matthew Hug. And um, and that name just stood out to me. And I think you've talked a lot about uh, names and how likability and how if the name has similar letters in it as our own name, there's an attraction. I mean, you can speak to that better than yeah, I can. Yeah, there's some interesting science around that, but yeah. Right. So I actually think that was an action because I hadn't met Ezra. I had just seen his name on this website and I just, there was something about the name that I was just like, this, this person, like this person, I need to get to know this person. Um, and that I hadn't even seen a photo of this person. So, um, anyway, I ended up going to one of the events was a pumpkin carving event, October, 2009. And I was just feeling at my best. I was been training for a marathon. So I was just like on a runner's high, just went to the event. I was just like working it, met a bunch of people, talked to a bunch of guys. And Ezra was one of the, the guys there who just had zero interest in talking to me. And <laughs> so of course I was more attracted and, and we were carving pumpkins. So I thought it would be really cool to just take the whole face off the pumpkin and make it more abstract. And I thought it was this really creative concept. It was not that creative. It was not that interesting, but I thought it was at the time. And I was like, that guy, that guy is going to get this. Like he's going to appreciate my art. And so after, you know, a couple cocktails and some liquid courage, I walked over to him and I showed him my pumpkin and he liked my pumpkin. And that's how we met. The rest is history. <laughs> yes. Yes. I like it. And you guys have a couple of kids. Tell me about uh, each of your kids. What, you know, what makes them unique? Okay. So Harper is my oldest. She is nine years old and um, Harper is the creative spirit. She's up for anything. She just has the best energy and people are just naturally attracted to her. She is to me, she is magic. She's magic and she's got the magic of childhood within her and I don't want it to ever fade. Um, and we're similar in, in some ways where she's very much can create an entire world in her mind. She's a writer. She's a poet. She's an artist. Um, and she loves to kind of break the rules, create creatively to break the rules. Henry is, he's six. He has the biggest heart and he is so sensitive and um, has so many feelings and he's someone who actually loves to have rules. <laughs> he loves all the rules and wants to make sure everyone follows the rules. So he is like the police officer in our house um, and he's just talented. And when he sang uh, What a Wonderful World and, and did sign language to that song recently, like it just brought tears to my eyes. It was just beautiful. And so he is our extrovert. He knows he's an extrovert. Uh, we struggle with that sometimes because he's living in a family with a bunch of introverts. And so Henry's like, I need to be around people. I need to play. And we're all like, cool, but we just want to be alone. So um, that is Henry. And then there's Homer, the baby who's five months old. 
and Homer is just, I don't know. He's just, he's got my entire heart. He's just, uh, he's going to be a mama's boy and <laughs> like, I'm going to own that. And he's just the sweetest baby I could ask for. Um, and he's been, he's been a pleasure to hang with over the last five months. So that's, those are the kiddos. And then we have a cat named Snowball and I do need to mention her because she actually is more intense and requires more attention and energy than anyone else in my family. That's, that's so and that's bizarre. not why we, that was not the, supposed to be the deal. I thought cats were easy. That's why we got her. And she's, she's an extroverted cat who is super social. And like, again, I'm an introvert. I don't need more social people in my family. And she's like, let's hang out all the time. Um, so she's definitely a part of our family too, whether or not I like it. Nice. I, I know we've talked a little bit about this, you know, on the podcast before, but especially new baby, you know, running a business, um, all of the things competing for your time, your family, like how have you made that struggle work over the last you know, few months adding yet another <laughs> person to that needs to be cared yeah. for and taken care of? I don't know if I've made it work. I mean, maybe from an outside perspective, like it's very clear that I'm not making it work. So um, I made it work in the fact that we're all alive. And uh, but um, yeah, I don't know. It's something I still struggle with. So I'm just trying to take it day by day. Uh, sleep is really important. So I prioritize sleep and I do what I need to do to help my baby sleep as well as he can, because that will make or break my day. And so, um, we've, we've had it pretty easy. And so I, I get that like as a, with a baby, he slept really well from the beginning. So that's been helpful. I have a team of people who help me, right? So we, within our business, within the copywriter club, we have an incredible team. I mean, fantastic business partner. That's been huge just to have the team. <laughs> the other Rob, it's the other, the other Rob Marsh. Um, I love that there are two Rob Marshes who are both copywriters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we need to interview the other Rob Marsh. We need to find the other guy. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so I, having a team has been critical for the copywriter club. And then just household wise, you know, I, I have a team of people I can rely on and, and who help, right? So from nannies to babysitters to house cleaners to my family, um, that's been crucial as I've managed to jump back into work and just to make all of this work. And exercise is huge. I mean, I know that's nothing new. We talk a lot about that on the podcast, um, but it's just, it's more clear than ever when when your time is significantly reduced, your energy is reduced, uh, your bandwidth for anything is reduced, then all these things that we know are best practices become even more critical. So it's less like, oh, you should have a morning routine. And it's more like you need a morning routine or you will not be able to function that day and you'll be miserable. So I've been running. I got back into running. I have always been a runner. I took off when I was pregnant because I was just like, I want to be on the couch. I don't want to run. And so I've been getting back into running and kind of felt I've I just remembered how much I love it. And so I'm training for a marathon and that's forcing me just to have a goal. So I, I continue with it. And that's what keeps me sane. If I'm in a good mood, it's because I, I ran that day. If I'm not in a good mood, it's probably because I didn't run that day. So that's been a big part of it too. So which marathon? Have you chosen it yet? I haven't. I really would like to do the New York City one. Um, I was even just thinking of putting it out there in the copywriter underground just to see if anyone else is doing a marathon in the next year. And maybe we can get a little copywriter club group to do it. I think that could be really fun, but I haven't signed up yet. So if anyone has any recommendations, I've done the Chicago one, so I will not do that one again, but everything else is fair game. There, there's a marathon in Utah that's really well known for being an easy marathon. It's mostly downhill, the St. George marathon. So, uh, you know, if you want to come run in October, um, it's October. Okay. Yeah, next year. Um, I won't run it with you. I will never run a marathon. I hate running, even though I, I run. But you do it. Yeah, I run, but only because I like having run. Uh, I actually right. don't like the running part, <laughs> but I like how I feel afterwards. So, um, but yeah, if you, uh, if you want to check it out, maybe we should get some copywriters to join you and do that. Well, I'm all about choosing the easiest courses. The Chicago one, I did that because apparently that was one of the easiest ones because it's so flat. 
So um, I will do it if it's easy. I've <laughs> heard kidding. a lot of people use this one to qualify for Boston because it's okay. easy to get a fast time. So maybe, maybe check it out. Okay. So this is probably a, a bad question given all of the things that you just talked about because you probably don't get a lot of alone time, but what do you do when you're alone aside from running? I cry. I just cry. <laughs> That's all. Um, I paint. I, I not like, I mean, I used to paint pictures, but I just, I paint my house. I just, I get a lot of therapy from painting. So while most people will paint a room of their house with a roller, which makes sense because it's faster I will choose the tiniest paintbrush and I will paint an entire room basically with a toothbrush. And then Ezra's like, well, why, why don't you use a roller? It will go faster. You know that, right? <laughs> so, but for me, it's just, it's therapy. It's relaxing. So I am painting all the rooms in my house. Um, I, of course, you know, do the things good copywriters do, read, write, uh, run, which I already mentioned, take care of my plants. Um, I love camping hiking, travel. Um, I would like to, now that I've had my third baby and I like, I'm done, um, and I'm getting my life back and my body back. I would like to seek out more adventure, just going back to what I did in New York city where I was seeking out these cool adventures and then I'd write about them. Uh, I like that. I like that process. And so I think that's really important to me. Um, and I'd like to get back into playing some type of music. I know I used to joke about how I was taking violin lessons a couple years ago in New York City and I fell out of it. And so I, I, I like the idea of um, raising my kids in a household where we do play music, even if we're terrible. Like we aren't, I am, I will never be good at any musical instrument, I'm sure. But I think it's just fun to try. It's the process. And so um, that excites me too. And other than that, it's just pursuing new hobbies, which right now there probably isn't a lot of time to pursue anything else beyond that. So I know you're a reader. Give me your favorite ever book, best book you've ever read. I can't do favorite books and I, and you can't make me. <laughs> so I, Which I is fair read. because I can't, I think you asked me the same thing. I can't do it either. I I, like I might be able to come up with a top 50, but yeah. Right. You know, it's honest. also like how, I mean, some people can, but it's like, it depends on what you're dealing with at the time. And so, and I just, I can only go as far back as like a week ago. So I will just share <laughs> the book that you and I talk about because I think it's an amazing book. And so we should talk about it as much as we can. The book is called 4,000 Weeks, Time Management for Mortals by Oliver Berkman. And this book is, it's the only book I've read in the last few years that has shifted the way I think about life and time and my priorities and my even my identity in such a big way. And I think most most books don't make that shift for me, right? I, I learn something new. I'm like, oh, that's cool. But this is one where it's just I feel like it's just flipped me upside down and helped already. I'm only halfway through, or maybe a little bit more, um, helped give me some peace in what I'm doing and just some answers to questions that I've had. And so I highly recommend it. I know you're reading it too. Yep. It's a really good book. We're going to have to get Oliver on the podcast. Yes. This will be a, a really good discussion uh, for the future. Um, okay. So what, what motivates you? What gets you out of bed aside? I mean, there are obvious, obvious answers here, you know, family, the business we're running. Is there anything else that you would add <laughs> to that list? Um, yeah, that's like, I didn't really think through that question, even though you, I should have. Um, I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, right now with the business, it's it's we have a team, and we it's not just the two of us anymore. And uh, I'm motivated by that in a positive way. Like I want, I and mean, it takes money to pay a team. If you want to have a team, you got to pay them. And uh, I love having a team, so I want to continue doing this. And I love the people we have on our team. So for me, it's like I'm I'm definitely motivated by money in terms of that's what helps us grow and that's allows us to provide for our team members. And, and I don't want that to stop. I love this. So, um, I'm very motivated by like, what do we need to do to bring in the money to support what we've already built and then to continue to grow? Um, so business-wise that's always motivating. Um, I mean, with the copywriters we work with, I just, 
I just love helping copywriters. Like I just want them to be successful. Like that's just personally rewarding when anyone has a win and I want to promote the heck out of them. Like we do that a lot and I just want to do more of it. If we can be, you know, I would love to be like the Oprah of the copywriting space where we can promote an amazing copywriter who's doing good in the world and change their business overnight. Um, that's, there's a lot of positivity in that. And if, if we can build something that can do that, like that to me feels worthwhile and really exciting because I, I mean, we both feel this way. Like we think copywriters are amazing. So whatever we can do to help them, that's a huge win. Um, and then I think personally, like just growth, wanting to continue to evolve as a human. I'm, I am not into settling into who you are. I just, I want to see, you know, what else is around the corner and um, explore more and just, uh, just continue to grow. I can't remember which member of our team asked me to ask you this. It was either oh Rosie or Gabby, but they want to know, are you a hugger? Uh, I've hugged you. Yeah. I, but that, <laughs> that's different. That's, you know, I, because, you know, I'm not much of a hugger. I'm kind of the I awkward know. side hugger. I'm not a very touchy feely person, although I hug a few people. Um, but are you a hugger Beyond, besides I, me? I can, I can give really great hugs. I'm a, I am a hugger in that sense, but I think, um, because hugging has slowed down, uh, in the last you know year, I'm kind of enjoying the break from hugging. I'm, I'm enjoying that break, I'm taking that break. I also think I get enough hugs at home. I mean, I get enough cuddles from my baby. Like I'm getting all the oxytocin, right? I need, I don't, need more hugs right now. So I think I will probably come back to hugging when my kids are less cuddly and I'm like, I'm just craving that. Um, so I don't know, maybe I'm not a hugger. I, I mean, I think it's really interesting, you know, what's happened over the last couple of years with not being able to hug. And, uh, I have to say, while I would not consider myself a hugger, I have definitely felt yeah. difference, like the loss of yes. human touch and even, you know, seeing faces, um, you know, when like there's something that we lose, um, with all of that. And I think it does not leave us better as people in myself included. Yes. And, you know, having said that, I, you know, I don't get a lot out of hugging, but, um, you know, after two years of not a lot of hugging, maybe I could use a hug or two. Yes. And I feel like there, that absence of the hug I can feel that. And it does feel strange. It feels really strange. So um, I, I hope it comes back for all of us. Cause I agree with you. I think, you know, that human touch is so important and uh, I'm lucky I get a lot of it from my family, but not everybody does. And we just, we just need it. We need more of it all the time. So I think that is really important. So what have you learned? Maybe, you know, number one, two, top three lessons that you've learned as you've coached alongside me, you know, hundreds of copywriters and help them achieve some amazing things in their business. Oh, lessons. Okay. I was thinking about this more in terms of just takeaways, but I'll think of takeaways, takeaways work. Let's, let's do it. I mean, what I, what I scribbled down is just, I learned how, how talented copywriters are. Just the amount of talent blows me away because I just, it's almost like I, I I must think there's a cap on talent and there can't be more talent out there. Or like we've already hit that, hit that um, cap, but I'm just, anytime I meet a copywriter and I just see what they can do or how they think, uh, I'm just like, you all are the smartest people in the world. Like you are, you are. Um, I've learned how much value we provide. I think that's something that is just so clear and we're all, we all get that as copywriters. And I think we're owning that more than we used to as a collective, like we don't just write pretty words. Here are all the ways we add value. Um, and I think every day it's like we figure out, oh, here's another way we add value. We've never talked about that before. Uh, we're, you know, I've learned that we're just more than writers. We, we have the privilege of using words to shape thoughts and, you know, thoughts can shape actions and actions can change the world. So in that sense, copywriters can change the world. And I trust copywriters to change the world more than I trust any other group of humans. Um, and so I think there's just more need for all of us to 
help make change in our own ways. It might be small ways, big ways, but that we as a group can actually make the biggest difference in the world. And whatever that means to, you know, to you listening, that can be many different things. And so, yeah, I just feel blown away by this community. As takeaways, like business takeaways, I mean, one of them, there's so many, but like one that comes to mind is just um, the power of showing up. And this is nothing new, but visibility, just how how your business can transform when you start to show up and use your own, the power of your own thoughts and words to show up and share what you're thinking and do that consistently. Um, the consistency is the most important part, but that will change your business overnight. And there's like, there's no, there are no other quick tricks. It's like, that is one thing that we know makes a difference and we've seen it repeatedly, but you know, there are many reasons we are afraid to do that. It's terrifying. It can be terrifying and uncomfortable, uh, but that's, that's a game changer. Yeah. Aside from that, aside from showing up and, and doing the work, are, are there other things that it takes to be a successful copywriter? Um, I think it's just the willingness to take action. I mean, we were on a call this morning with a think tank member and she's, she takes action. Like she, and the one, the ones who have been most successful are the ones who show up and we, you know, give them a plan, right. Or they, they know the plan. They ask questions. We talk about, okay, here's some next steps and they, they do it. They, you know, maybe it takes a day, maybe it takes a couple weeks to do the thing they need to do. Um, but they're constantly like just getting back to it, not shutting down, um, working through the head trash because we're all going to deal with it, but just working through it by taking action rather than just surrendering to it. Um, that makes a huge difference too. Those are some of the, you know, the more successful copywriters that we've met and worked with. So that's a big piece of it. Yeah. Do you have a secret for helping copywriters think bigger about themselves? Because like you're, you're hinting at the conversation that we had this morning with somebody. Uh, we had another one yesterday and like we've seen copywriters who set goals, you know, say, oh, I want to make, you know, $3,000 a month or $5,000 a month. And, and we say, well, you know, think bigger or whatever. And, you know, after several months, they're, they're making 15, 20,000, 25, right? So how do, how do you help people think bigger about what they want to accomplish? Uh, I think it's putting them in the right room. And we've, we've talked about that before. And, you know, that's part of that right room can be many different things for us. It's, it's the think tank, right? That's the right room. It could be the accelerator if you're just getting started in your business, but it's being around people who are also not afraid to think really big and who are vulnerable and talking about their goals and sharing the struggles and wins. Um, to me, once you can see that and you're in that room and you, and people, it's not, it's a room where people are sharing and open and there's trust built into it. That's when you're like, oh, okay, this person did this. I can do that too. That for me made a difference for, for me and my business when I was just getting started and I, and you and I were in the mastermind um, together and I was able to see what other copywriters were doing for the first time. And I was just like, oh, okay, like maybe I could do that too. Um, or maybe I could do that in a year. And so that's a huge piece of it. Um, and I think just giving people permission, that's what you and I do. And we just, we give people permission, like, it's okay to think bigger. I think oftentimes we're afraid to voice it and to even say it to ourselves, what we really want or how big we could really go, because it feels like there's too much risk involved and we may not make it, um, it's just scary to say something really big. And as soon as someone gives you permission to do it, it's just, it's freeing. I think we should do that for each other more often. I like that. Um, I think I know the answer to this, but beach, mountains, or city? Mm, I want all of it. <laughs> you want a city on the beach, in the mountains? <laughs> I want, I have never been a person who can choose one thing. I just am like, okay, I want to do both. I want to do all of it. So Yes, city for my primary residence um, for now, but mountains for, you know, just access to the mountains. So we, yeah, we're working on a mountain house and then beach, you know, getaway beach trip. 
sure. Like I want all of it. I don't want one, but I, I like, for me, I like the primary residence in the city at this stage in my life. Like I just do well with that energy. Um, that will change at some point. And I just maybe like, I'm, I'm kind of done with this energy. I, I need to be primarily in the mountains and the city can be the weekend trip. Okay. So if you could compete in any Olympic sport, what sport would you choose? No previous experience necessary. I know you've run, I think you've sw- done some swimming in the past as well, but what would you choose? What would you want to, what would you want a gold medal in? Whose question was this? This is my question. <laughs> this is my question. I want to know. I had a feeling. I was like, who, who came up with this one? Um, tug of war. Is that an Olympics? That's not an Olympic sport. You're just choosing a, anything. You're just choosing a sport. <laughs> I think it actually is. It is. Um, mine. I mean, I think my first response is like, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I've never wanted to be in the Olympics. I enjoy watching them, but I, that's never been a goal. But if I had to answer, I mean, gymnastics, I enjoy watching gymnastics. I was in gymnastics as a kid. So that speaks to me. It's a, you know, it's a grueling sport. All sports are grueling, but especially grueling. And so I, I think that would be pretty cool. That's hardcore. Um, Plus, you'd be the first person over like the height of five seven to win a gold medal in gymnastics. It would be my amazing. body. My body would not fit on the balance beam. I would just like move a step and then I would fall off. So yeah, that would be pretty fantastic to watch me compete in that sport. Um, that could be that could be fun. I, I, as I think about that and like, okay, there are a lot of sports I would love to excel at, but the one I could probably do at this stage in life is curling. You know, I could, I can push a broom on some ice. Maybe, maybe I can make that work, but yeah, that'd be gymnastics fun. would not make my list. Swimming. I mean, I did swim for years. And so as far as like what I might have a shot at would be swimming, swimming, um, or running. And, um, uh, I, miss swimming. So that, that would actually be really enjoyable just to get back in the pool. If you were on death row, had to, you know, have your last meal, what would you choose? Something, something from my mom. She, I just, I think anything that she made growing up, just, you know, it's nostalgic. It just brings back memories. So it would be like any dish doesn't even really matter what it is. Just a dish from when I was a kid. I think that would be I mean, as long as like I'm not on death row because I killed my mom or someone in my family, like that would not be the memory. (laughs) Like I guess it depends on why I'm on death row. But if I'm on death, I mean, yes. So something that brings back positive memories from my childhood, I guess that would be the best way to go out, like feeling really good and loved by your, your mom and your family as you are on death row. I mean, such a depressing thought. What is bringing this down? We'll we'll make it more positive. So like, what is the best meal you've ever had? And I've got to imagine there's all kinds of culinary experiences in New York, the cities that you've lived in, but very best meal you've ever had. What comes to mind is an experience called dark dining in New York. And again, this was one of the experiences I wrote about for the examiner. This is something where like, they're like, you can't see anything, right? Yes. Yeah, and so that to me was the most fun meal because we were blindfolded in the restaurant. And so you had to just experience and use your other senses throughout the entire meal. And um, that was one that will always stand out because uh, I only did it one time. And it's also very uncomfortable when you're there with someone else. And um, Ezra just stopped talking at one point because he was served bone marrow and he like got weirded out and he just kind of freaked out and like just stopped talking. So when you're sitting there in a dark dining experience and all of a sudden your partner just like checks out, it's also very alarming. And so it was just, it was a very weird, but fun, um, different dining experience. Um, and so that was one that stood out and I, I just, I love anything. It's very clear experiential. So there's also this really, cool Colombian restaurant in Union Market in DC where it's, they pour chocolate into your hands and you're supposed to like lick the chocolate off your hands. And it's all about experiencing the food. And then later you have to like lick the food off your plate. 
Um, <laughs> they it's just like, take it's food. like a five year old's dream restaurant. <laughs> I know, and it's a really like it's a nice restaurant, so everyone's dressed up, and you're just like licking everything off the plate in your hands and just experiencing food in a different way. So I, I'm more into that than the cuisine necessarily. You know, the, the dark dining experience that just kind of, um, it makes it clear how much visual stimulation impacts an experience. Right. And if you can't see the person across from you, how they're experiencing the food, it almost like removes half of half of the, the experience of eating, which is kind of odd to think about because eating, we don't think of as being very visual. Well, and just the communication, the communication that's so important in a dining experience, not only from the the staff who are serving the food, but from, from your, you know, the other guests at the table and how important that is in any situation. So it would be cool to do that again, just because there's, there's so much learning from just being in that environment where you're out of your comfort zone too. That might be, might be an experience we try at some point in an, in an IRL or something like that. Um, okay, so what last couple of questions. What legacy do you want to leave for the world? That's such a hard question to answer. Did I? I feel like I should ask you that one too because I didn't ask you that one. That's no, a good one. Is, yeah, this is just a, a good question. You're going to have to wait for the next interview with me. But right. what legacy do you want to leave? You know, I just, I want to do something, anything. I don't know what that thing is to just make the world better for my children. I mean, especially my youngest for Homer. Like I just think about his lifetime ahead and just what that will be like. Um, sometimes I struggle with that when I think about what it could be like, you know, it could be like this or it could be like this. And I, and I, I mean, it's, you, you can't predict that, but um, I'm always trying to figure out like, well, what is that thing that I need to do that I could do to make it better, to make the world better for my kids. And I, I'm at a loss sometimes and I, I struggle with that. I'm like, I don't know what that is. And so I feel like I'm seeking and searching and trying to figure out what that is. <laughs> um, but that's, that's what I'm trying to figure out. Yeah. I think that's a good answer. So what's next for you, Kira? What, uh, you know, whether it's after the copywriter club or with the copywriter club, like what's coming up in the future of Kira Hug? I mean, probably med school. I think I'm going to become a doctor. <laughs> I like that. I mean, I'm half joking, but I, uh, I think anytime you go through a shift in life, you go through an identity crisis. I've gone through an identity crisis over the last few months. I think I'm coming out of it, but I was just like, what am I supposed to do with the rest of my life? Like I, maybe I need to be a doctor. I need to go to med school. And then I went, you know, just maybe I need to become, get into politics and I need to change the world through politics. And so I just have kind of tried on many different hats, just thinking through, well, okay, what would that look like? What would that feel like? What would it take to get there? Um, so I have been exploring those identities um, and kind of working through them one by one. So it could be many different things. I think what's also could be interesting as I'm thinking about all that is, you know, are those the shadow careers and what is that actually preventing me from doing? Like, what is the real thing that I want to do? And all of these other projects and careers are a distraction from what I truly want to do. And I think that's always hard to figure out. So what is that thing? And that's, that's, that's what I'm trying to figure out. I have a feeling it has to do with writing. Yeah, that answer surprises me a little bit because I've heard you talk a lot about being sort of like a media mogul at some point, you know, having this media yeah. platform yeah. Or, or landscape. So um, that's on my like, list too. It's like but how that expresses company. is interesting. Yeah. A media company or it's like it, we love, you know, as copywriters, we geek out on research. So I'm like, maybe I go deeper into research. Maybe I go back to school and go really deep into organizational design. I mean, we build, you and I build communities. So like really studying that and understanding what works and what doesn't work. And because community will sh change our world. It has the power to change our world. So maybe I just like geek out on that. And so I think there are all these great options that always um, stem from what we do as copywriters and all the skills that we, we carry with us as copywriters. And it creates all these different options. And also sometimes, you know, after reading 4,000 weeks and reading through that book, it's also good to rein it in and be like, okay, well, what am I doing now? And how can I make a difference in what I'm doing now 
rather than thinking ahead and getting lost in all the possibilities um, and distracting yourself with all the options you could have. So it's it's fun to think about, and I'm just kind of playing around with different ideas. I like it. All right. Well, that's the, that's the list of my questions. I suppose if uh, people who are listening want to ask other questions of you, they can you know drop them to you or me in an email. Maybe we can address them in a future episode. Probably if, won't get. Yeah, we, we might not <laughs> might not get very many. Who knows? Maybe we'll get dozens. Um, dozens of questions. And if you want to hear Kira's interview with me, asking a lot of the same questions, but um, same kind of style, that was ten episodes ago. You can check that out. There's actually lots of episodes where it's just been the two of us talking where we touch on some of these things, but I don't think we've gone this deep before. So this was uh, Yeah, we prefer shallow. We prefer shallow. Interesting to find out this much uh, about you, Dr. Hug. It'll be, uh, I'm Dr. Millipede. Dr. Mill- Dr. Millipede. Yeah, I like <laughs> it. Well, thanks for interviewing me, Rob, and um, keeping it relatively gentle and easy. I appreciate it. Yep, of course. That's the end of this episode of the Copywriter Club podcast. The intro music was composed by copywriter and songwriter Addison Rice. The outro was composed by copywriter and songwriter David Muntner. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please visit Apple Podcasts and leave a review of the show. All right. Thank you. And uh, where can we go to learn more about the Copywriter Club, Rob? Thecopywriterclub.com. Or join us in the free Facebook group, Facebook, The Copywriter Club. Listen to more episodes of this podcast, wherever it is that you got this episode.